This podcast was recorded on April 26th, 2021. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and people outside the binary. Broken Class is now in session. I'm your discussion leader, Thomas Huda. Today, it's a really excellent honor to follow up my last conversation with the future school board member, Maya Rabasa, with another candidate for um, that office. Someone who hopes to be working alongside six other people doing some really important policymaking in the Eugene School District 4J. And my guest is Tom DiLiberto. How are you today, Tom? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. This is my first podcast. (laughs) It's super exciting. And it's already just going to be a lot of fun. You are somebody with a lot of experience in the classroom. That's what is a real highlight of your candidacy. Uh, Sometimes it's hard to boil down uh, everything that a candidate is running for in like a few words and like a slogan. But I know you've taught you a lot of your branding has to do with the fact that classroom experience counts. You bring 31 years of experience just at Monroe Middle School um, as a Spanish educator. And what's very impressive is that you are actually 4J District's first secondary level immersion teacher that they hired back in 1987, I believe. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And before that, you had worked uh, in an elementary school in some setting, and you had also worked at a high school and middle schools, um, predominantly in like mostly Spanish-speaking schools. Um, so you bring a range of experience. And uh, I know that I like to start off my shows by asking just in any kind of realm, What's a controversial opinion that Tom DiLiberto has about anything? Oh, um, controversial. I, I've been really active in, in the teachers union. And I think then when people commonly hear of, of teacher unions, they have certain perceptions um, and leaders that leaders are supposed to act a certain way. Um, and I was the bargaining chair for EEA for long, for seven years. And I was on the, on it for a long time, but I think they expected me to be possibly, um, possibly more fiery than I than I probably was. I, I, hmm. once I know the facts, I, I I will plunge ahead. You know, if if this is a righteous cause, absolutely. But uh, it bugs me to go forward uh, if I don't know know everything I really need to know and. Um, I'm not sure if that's a contra- controversial opinion, but it's a controversial behavior. Uh, mm. I think people, once they 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 knew me, they go, oh, okay, I get it. And I, I do like this guy. I can trust this guy. Uh, but I think they were thinking, yeah, yeah just tell me what, what's wrong. And yeah, let's go down to, let's go down to the Ed Center and tell them what for. And um, <laughs> hold on, let, let, let's, let's figure this out. Let's make sure. We, we know everything we need to know. Um, and I, I think people in the end uh, understood that about me. Um, mm. that's hey, the way I think I that, that there's a lot of room for that. And that is refreshing. It may be controversial as it is to some people, but it's certainly, uh, I think there's been a, a I've, I've, I'm 27 years old. So I've seen really in my adolescence, social media and how it's evolved and changed and the usefulness and the incredible drawbacks of it in the way that we conduct public public discourse there is a real um i think validation and reward maybe even just within the algorithmic context of how they structure it for people to rush to judgment 
to state unequivocal points that are like, this is the absolute truth and, and I'm mad about this, or this is the greatest thing ever. And you should all look at this mm -hmm. now. And so I think that, um, you know, I wasn't sure how you were going to respond to that question. I thought that was a very interesting and revealing, um, question, uh, response you gave. Um, and I wanted to ask you about, cause this is your first time ever running for public office. Um, I don't want to just ask, why are you running? Because I think this conversation is going to reveal a lot of that. I think your candidacy reveals a lot of why um, this position matters to you and the schools really matter to you. I mean, it's been your life mission um, to to you know improve the context of schools. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you just as a human being, like how does it feel to be a candidate for public office? Um, and like the procedural element of it, the putting yourself out there in a citywide race, like what are the feelings coming up for you? Uh, it exposes. I, I think that's the biggest thing for me. I, I, teachers are, are used to be in front or to being in front of, of students and, and parents for that me for that, uh, matter. Um, and we do get used to it, but, uh, you have to ask people for money. You have to ask people to put your name on a sign and you have to, um, you, they, they ask you uh, constantly, well, why are you running? And I, I'm glad you're, you are asking me why am I, uh, why I'm running, but you're doing it in a different way, but it's, uh, it's just exposing. I'm not used to that. I'm not, that's not the way I guess I was, I was brought up. Um, not to say that it, it's a bad thing to tell people exactly why you are good at this and you're good at that and you want to do that. That makes sense to me, but um, it's not the first. It's not my first impulse where I elbow somebody and I and I <laughs> and I tell them, "Yeah, this is why uh, you know you should have me there." But it, it is necessary to a certain extent because you have to explain why you'd even want this job or why you, you would waste your time. Some people have actually asked me that uh, mm -hmm. who have a, a cynical view of what a board of education does uh, or they've seen it in action and they say, why in the world would you ever want to subject yourself to that type of uh, confusion, treatment, um, <laughs> <laughs> a lack of pleasure, lack of joy. Sometimes I said, hold on, you know, it, you know, let's talk fairly about this. Uh, right. And that's been the, maybe the hardest part. You know, am I going to ask people for things and lose all my friends and lose respect? And if, that hasn't been the case. But uh, I think I think there there have been some people who are surprised. Um, most people not. They said, no, you'd be an excellent board uh, board member. But people who know me, the way I, I work, my personality, I think they, they are a little surprised that I would subject myself to, to uh, this type of uh, treatment. I'm asking for it. Uh, so it's, <laughs> I can't blame anyone. Well, it seems to me that you care about the fact that something's wrong. I don't think this is a, that what's wrong within our schools is strictly 4J only. You know, you wrote a letter to the you wrote a viewpoint article in the Register Guard, and yeah. but what you pointed to effectively was that the the district was just nationally renowned and known as like a place to be for student centered learning, for really community based models, for um, making making sure that the district is meeting the actual needs of the people here, um, and it seems that there is 
been more of a um, top-down model and an increased emphasis on standardized tests. Certainly, I remember when Nickleby, as some of us in the ed world call it, No Child Left Behind, um, was was passed by the Bush administration. Um, explain, you know, in lay, lay people's terms, what's wrong and how and what are you looking to fix here? Well, uh, you mentioned top down, which is a part of um, part of my spiel each time. I, I think people don't really understand the uh, evolution or um, I, I wouldn't say demise, but what, what's <laughs> happened in the last uh, 30 something years in 4J. I, I really didn't think I would be able to get a job right off. I thought I'd sub for a while. Uh, eventually I'll get in there. There was a international high school here and I was working in one in uh, in San Francisco at the time and I thought okay I'll, I'll get there at some at some point uh, but it, it really was uh, a city on the hill people admired 4j immensely um, but it changed uh, through defunding uh, at the state level I think everybody is aware of that. Uh, and it was kind of a steady decline after after about five or six years of really um, uh, great experience here in in 4J, and then um, no child uh, left behind, or as many called it, no child left untested, which was a, a basic tenet of of this whole law that uh, was put in place, and uh, it was just very difficult to it. It just felt like all the control was taken away that that yes, we're gonna be testing you, there's gonna be accountability for X, Y, and Z, and boy, are these kids going to learn. All we need to, <laughs> we just, all we need to do is make sure that the teachers know there's gonna be a test and everybody's gonna be, uh, you know, your, your, your grades are gonna be up on the board. Um, <laughs> and it doesn't work. It, it, removed, it removed so much of why teachers go into the profession. Um, not that they can just close the door and they can do whatever they want to do. That's, mm -hmm. that's not what teachers really want. They want to work with other people. They right. want to really delve into um, mathematics, uh, Spanish, uh, whatever they're teaching, and and really really relay that to somebody else, young people. And it was taken away where uh, people were telling us exactly how things should be uh, taught. Um, and it was, it was just sad. It was, it was, it was a sad part. And, uh, I still think, I think we're actually at the bottom of that. I think it's, there are certain indications that it's, it's going to go back up. People are starting to realize that they need to invest in education, that those dollars that go into schools, uh, we, we get something out of that as a, as a people. And, right. um, and I, I think I, I'm encouraged by that and I really want to be part of it. And I think that somebody who's who's seen that arc um, uh, should be part of the decisions uh, right. or the decision making. Right. You saw it from the perspective of how do these policy decisions made on these Monday nights translate in the classroom or I don't remember what night it is. It's been a while since I've gone with COVID to the meetings. But um, <laughs> you, so you would probably be able to identify, hey, I've seen something like this happen or maybe we don't want to go down this road. We've tried this, um, mm -hmm. et cetera. Um, and I think, you know, the, 
you're right that people are noticing more that, wow, Oregon has really needed to invest in the schools again. And I know that you have done some work in terms of advocating for the Student Success Act that the legislature passed. Um, but I think, you know, just like stepping back, right, the way that a government works, the way that our governments works, there are there are flaws. And one of the flaws, I think, is it's similar to why infrastructure has been deprioritized on a federal level for quite some time is because the people that pass those packages, they might not politically benefit from it because the the rewards are reaped 10 years, 15 years, 20 right. years down the line, and it doesn't appear as urgent. And so it, it's hard to, to prioritize it. Um, so um, I'm hoping that you know, we're able to continue in that as a trend and not just say, you know, we rubber stamped one time uh, this, this, you know, dollar amount to go to the schools again. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah. And I know that, um, you know, you've also volunteered many hours towards passing school bonds in the past. Um, and I wanted to ask you because you are in a contested race and I, I'd say a race where, um, there are two candidates that have a lot of support and, um, it's, it's a citywide race. I have no idea how it's going to go. Um, I certainly think that you would be an excellent person um, on the board, but if you were to not win, how would you continue your commitment to the goals of your candidacy? Uh, when I retired, I, uh, I had a relationship with, you know, several people on at my school site. It was, it's a great school. Monroe middle school has excellent teachers there. And uh, I, I am a musician. I, I play the sax. I play the piano. Um, piano's not ready for prime time, but uh, <laughs> but but I'm a good sax player, jazz sax player, nice. and I, I considered that before uh, uh, before going to college. But I'm also kind of a steady paycheck type of guy too. I realized that early on that um, it would have been difficult for musicians. Um, but I uh, immediately started, I, I subbed a little bit. I, I didn't really care for it that much. Uh, I didn't, mm. uh, uh, it's very difficult to be a substitute teacher, uh, guest teacher. Uh, My girlfriend I, is one. She, she would say the same. Yeah, it, it, it's very, it's, it, it's, a, it's a definite skill. You have to have a large bag of tricks. Uh, you have to be extremely flexible. Um, and I, that just wasn't the right thing for me at that time. And, but I decided to start, start work after a few months with, uh, with the music, the band director, the music director at, at, uh, at Monroe, a guy named Talon Nansel, who's an amazing teacher who uh, um, actually just resigned. He, um, for, for several reasons, he's, he's going to be moving, but uh, I, I enjoyed it immensely. I was there a couple days a week and working with, uh, uh, sixth, seventh graders, some eighth graders, and sitting down with them um, and learning to love music. And I, I remember that part of my life so, so clearly uh, about learning. And I, it was I, just learning that I was actually good at this. I, I was talented at it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wasn't breaking records in math in, in other classes, but that that really turned me on and, and all my grades got better after I got into band. And I, it's just so key. And it, there are classes, elective classes, enriching classes that so often just fall off, fall off the table. And because yeah. kids, because of standardized testing or there's no room in their um, 
they get double dosed because their their scores dipped or they uh, there's there's no room in their schedule. And I just think it's a crime that they can't pursue that dance class or yeah. that that particular or social studies. They miss out on that. Um, and to take away band from me when I was 12 would have been a crime. I mean, I, for one, don't think they need to read more than maybe two or three Shakespeare texts. Um, you know, the, and yeah. there's the literary arts are art as well, but it's like, you know, maybe Othello, maybe Midsummer, but we don't need Hamlet and the Tempest and Romeo nah. and Juliet. And, you know, <laughs> so, yeah. you know, making room for those things. And I talked with, with Maya about it, about those are the things that keep people engaged in the in coming to school and and having a community you know i i went to north eugene and often it would felt like the outcasts you know were like the we were the whole school was kind of looked down on in some context or we felt that way and then mm. like the even within that school like the the outcasts the people who felt marginalized you know we really um built community in theater drama uh, and uh, music, so I'm I'm yeah. I'm really happy that it's important to you. Often I have to um, in these conversations. I, I I don't know if you know this, but um, when I interview people or chat with people who are like seeking public office or they're public servants, I make a point to ask them about the music that they are passionate about or that really mm. helps them get through the day. And then I often will chat with people that are just straight up musicians, and I make a point to try to get their politics or get their opinions <laughs> about public so, life. Because, so you flip uh, it yeah, yeah, and because I yeah. I that's ostensibly what this show is about for me it's just about things that i care about and i'm a i'm a rapper i'm a i'm a drummer i'm a guitarist i'm a singer um and uh so you know i want to hear nice. i want to hear artist names you know i, I know that you are you, you your work within um us aiding with music education but like who are you listening to lately uh i'm 62 years old so i uh most of the people i listen to uh are not young they're not um, rappers with Lil and Young before their names. No, no, they aren't. <laughs> or, or with alternate spellings of uh, of things mm -hmm. that, or phonetic spellings of. Um, yeah. I've got respect for them, but it's 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 not my music. But I've, I have respect for for a lot of people. Yeah, um, I'm li I'm usually listening to Bill Evans, mostly jazz jazz greats, Miles Davis, Herbie Hancock, but they're you know. Um, there are people like uh, Esperanza Spalding. Um, She's amazing. The guitar, yeah, who's amazing. Uh, the guitar, uh, Brittany Howard. I, I think Alabama Shakes is a great band. Uh, yeah. There, yes, there's interesting stuff. There's, there's what I like about what's happening now and it has been happening for, for 10, 15 years is not so much a melding of things, but a, a mutual acceptance of of genres and music and it's it's okay to have you know that type of guitar with this type of other instrument or this singer or um people are looking to do different types of uh, collaborations with other other artists and that that's really i that's encouraging to me because it before it wasn't like that you you if you were a country singer that's what you did mm. and if you played jazz you know, that's what you did and you just didn't cross those lines or you did a great peril. Um, mm -hmm. Some people did it really well. Ray Charles did it well. Um, mm. uh, James Taylor's done some of that. Um, mm. And I, I listen to them as well. But uh, to me, uh, fire and rain always gets me emotional when I hear it. And it's <laughs> one of those that you hear in like restaurants and stuff. And I'm like, 
I've seen fire, I've seen rain. <laughs> oh, I'm just crying over my noodles. Um, <laughs> yeah, so um, absolutely. Well, you you more than fulfilled the obligation to to throw some names out there. I really appreciate that. Uh, and it's true, like, you know, when you talk about country, like Lil Nas X coming on the scene as a hip hop artist. Oh, right. But, like right, right, right. having this song that like was huge on the country charts. And for a while, Billboard said, you know, this isn't a country song. And the country and hip hop communities were like, what? What do you mean what? by that? <laughs> yeah. you, you know, um, yeah. but I think w one of the things that's cool is like so because I am a hip hop head in my heart, like hip hop, yeah. a lot of people would argue with like the SoundCloud movement and people being able to make like beats on their phones and recordings on their laptops. It's in kind of a grunge phase of where rock was in the nineties, because yeah. previously we had what was called the bling era. Uh, we now kind of call it that the hip hop scholars do, uh, you know, and um, mm -hmm. that was a lot about opulence and a lot about, about materialism and money. And there's still some of that in hip hop. Um, but it's also like really stripping away in many of the ways that like Kurt Cobain said, I'm going to just do four chords and some really heartfelt lyrics screamed, you know, as a, as a, because people are tired of hearing just, you know, the glam metal, like, let me shred and make seven minute songs and be really, you know, right. um, pretentious about it. So, you know, and I think that's what, that is really cool. People's ears are ready for it. Um, and that's what makes it so that people want to, they hear like a, a banjo on this like hip hop song and they're like, whoa, that's kind of cool. Um, there's so a lot more really social, neat. there's a lot more social commentary now too. I, I think the mm. last, last 10 years, um, I think you know, especially in hip hop, and you would know this a whole lot more than I would, um, that it's been a conduit for that. And, and before, I, I think it was a, um, it was different. I think there's more appreciation for it. There's obviously, you know, things are going to have different subgenres as time goes on, but um, I'm glad to see it. Yeah. And um, bringing it back to the school context a little bit, you know, I did read what Mr. Nansel at Monroe wrote uh, in a letter to the editor recently in Register Guard. And yeah. he had um, he had some everybody just seems to have glowing words about you, man. And uh, one thing that he said was that um, you had, you know, been really avid as a Spanish teacher who uh, who was at the music performances at the band concerts and and. Um, that you had even like played at some talent shows. Um, you know, I, I oh, yeah. think that talent shows are just <laughs> some of the coolest things ever. I hosted one or two of them back in the day. I performed in more of them than maybe people wanted me to. Um, but like, singing, what, were you singing or you're playing the guitar or? Um, who knows what I did, man. <laughs> I, I, I sang being for the benefit of Mr. Kite by the Beatles once. Um, wow. I did a lot of I did a lot of odd things. Uh, I per, I played the guitar solo in uh, Bohemian Rhapsody while my while three friends sang it badly, and um, <laughs> you know. So you're brave. You're brave. I guess, but the the reason a talent show doesn't require the same kind of bravery as I've experienced in other gigs I've played. I've probably played about thirty or forty shows as a hip hop artist. Is there's just this built in incredible support of people who wink wink nudge nudge they're not always good at what they do <laughs> like of right. course there's a there's a range of ability and people are often really great at the piano or great at the sax but um 
you know, and then there's just that fact that like you see someone up there dancing and everybody's like, yeah, oh my God, it's Megan. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, um, Julia is out there. Um, and then, so it's especially cool. I think when people see like, whoa, no way. That's my Spanish teacher. Look at him. Um, yeah. so, so those, those environments are really cool. And, and, and so I think like, you know, when you're, if you end up on the school board, when you're there, what kinds of things can you do, um, to ensure that like there are spaces for not just talent shows, but, um, you know, that feeling of community to thrive because it seems to me like you, you know, it's a policy making role you're going to be in. A lot of people think it's very detached and I, I wonder how you are going to like wrestle with that sense of detachment or does, or is it very clear? Is it a very clear through line that like, yeah, the policies that I, that I vote for are going to be able to allow for, you know, these, these on the ground, um, positive things to occur. I, um, I, I that's a pretty big question. <laughs> I'm, not sure I'm known for those to, from, from what angle I should <laughs> attack that question. Um, I, I think, um, you know, my, I talk about the whole child and I didn't invent the term obviously, but right. the, the whole child, if you, I, if you can uh, point to the kids in, in our district that are fulfilling themselves, they're, 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 they know how to write, they know how to speak, uh, but they can, um, and they can, they can do mathematics. These, these are the things that uh, people want tested or have wanted tested in the last 15, 20 years. But I, I think we really need to broaden this and, and look, can these, can these kids fulfill all the things that they really think they can do and, and want to do? Um, can we give them uh, the tools to be able to do that? Uh, I, I don't think everybody's going to be a musician or everyone's going to be a, a, uh, a person who, who can dance or, or, or whatever it might be. But uh, we have to provide all those, those channels. And um, I, I think we need to invest more, not for that sake, but uh, we've just cut down so much of what kids or what gives kids joy to keep them in classes to, to feel good about themselves, to feel good about their teachers, to feel good about what we're doing. And um, uh, it, it makes me think of COVID. You know, I, I think we were right at the bottom we, and we were, you know, we passed the SSA, the, the Student Success Act and things, um, we were feeling pretty optimistic. And then COVID came and just, it was just a gut punch. Right. Uh, like everything that we had, you know, we were starting to get rolling. People were starting to understand, yeah, maybe we, if we do put money into this, we'll, we'll get something out of it. This makes sense to us. Uh, and then it said, no, hold off. And, and now we can't do anything for a year. And I get, I totally get why. Uh, I'm not someone right. who's saying, yeah, we should have had our kids in there in November or something. Yeah. I, I understand the safety issue. I, I, I totally get it. But I'm just, I am uh, chomping at the bit to be able to, to start again, to, I, I hope we don't lose any of the momentum that we, we started to have right before COVID hit. Right. Um, that's, that's my biggest wish. That's a really good point. And, yeah. um, you know, I've paid my bills by working in hotels. And so the hospitality industry was super ravaged by COVID. One of the things that I think is a challenge about, you know, the impact it's had on schools is that uh, 
it's it's an issue that has affected just every element of whether it's the economy or just communities and how people communicate like it's been so wide ranging that it's hard to to imagine like a a prescription that will effectively alleviate like all of those different issues you know so it kind of feels like well so many other times too like educators are left to fend for themselves you know they're left to yeah. try to pick up the pieces um so Hey, maybe you got out officially of, out of the profession at the right time. I don't know, but um, I I don't know. I, I do feel I feel really bad about that because I have obviously have quite a few teacher friends. I know it, uh, quite a few administrators as well and classified folks, and I feel really uh, really bad <laughs> that I got yeah. out of it bef- before that, and it, it's been such a struggle for all of them. Uh, um, I can't imagine teaching Spanish. Like, you know, how doing that on Zoom, it's just so, well, and then you I have know to compete some... with everything else that, that clamors for young people's attention when they're using their devices too. I mean, let's I know, be real. all day and all night. I, I'm seeing some of it because I observe, um, I observe student teachers for uh, the University of Oregon. So I, I have five uh, four, uh, world language teachers, one German, two French, and two Spanish. And it's eye-opening. Um, they're doing an incredible job. I'm so proud of them, but what they're up against is incredible. All, all the screens are off. You know, these, in secondary, um, most al- almost all the screens are off. In elementary, you get more engagement. Kids aren't answering questions. You're you're just shouting into a void, and you you know you got to keep the the smile on your face. You've got to keep the energy up. Engagement is everything because um, all those student teachers are, are really interested in the well-being of those kids. It's, right. it's just clear to me. And it's such it's they're just wrestling with it every day. And it it's defeating. But um, they are bravely battling and They're just doing a terrific job. And uh, I feel the same way about the practitioners in the buildings, you know, uh, district wide, it it's been so hard. Yeah, but, yeah. Spanish, I mean, you you say Spanish, but like everything, uh, how how do you have a, a discussion when you can only hear one voice at a time? Um, yeah, you can't see faces. You can't see if someone's getting it or they feel like they you know they really want to be called on. Um, right, it's tough. It is tough. Yeah, um, I was a student teacher for a while. Uh, in high school social studies at Teachers College oh. Columbia in New York City. And, oh. um, you know, I felt, you know, one thing that I'm moving into is adult education. I'm going to get my master's in that and so at Southern okay. Oregon online starting this fall. And I'm, I'm, I just realized that's, that's a more appropriate place for me with where the kinds of people I want to teach and, and what I feel comfortable doing. But nice. uh, when I was in the classroom, Tom, I felt this tension of just the difficulty of grading and like specifically giving people failing grades for things. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was in a pre COVID normal context. I guess I was insecure or felt like I didn't have the authority to do that, or this is going to be really hurtful. And you know, I'm, I'm half Japanese and we had a real culture at home of like, Oh, I got a B once and I got, I got roasted for it, you know, by my mom. (laughs) So like, so knowing that I'm causing that impact. um, And then there's just that real, frustrating like well duality between like you know the the the, appropriately like the teachers that are the 
maybe maybe the highest quality or the best are the teachers who are willing to be really tough on students, but make sure that they have the tools to succeed while with that with that toughness in place. A teacher yeah. who is just known as someone who will give you an A no matter what you turn in might be beloved, but might not no. be really doing the job. So no, that's I just not feel the like job. within a Zoom context or in this distance learning context, I would feel extra chat like uh I don't know, hesitant, like like difficult. I feel like it'd be hard to like give students those those failing grades. I can imagine telling a student you failed my course, you know, like that didn't even meet. Like the, the, where we weren't even it didn't even exist as a group of people in a room, you know, like that's that's hard. Right. Um, and all the but there are so many conversations before you get to that very sad point. And it, it has yeah. happened for me. But there are lots of uh, conversations before that, you know, hey, you know, you, you haven't turned in any work or you didn't yeah. really turn in the second draft of, of what we were talking about. And, um, you know, calls home where I talk to to a parent uh, to see if we can intervene or we find ways where the where the student can come in and, and work with me and, and those aren't, aren't taken. And then you try to find out why, you know, is it a transportation thing? Is, you know, is, is a kid getting breakfast? Um, what's, what, what's going on? Does the, does the student not have the skills that he or she was supposed to, you know, it, it, it's a long conversation, several conversations before you get to that point. But I have been at the point where I have given someone a failing grade and it's, it's mm-hmm. heartbreaking. Um, Tom, is universal access to free breakfast something you support and or is it a priority for you as a board member? I think it's I think it'd be really smart. I, I, I think they've done it in schools and it, it really makes sense to me. Uh, there's so many kids who and I've seen them at, at the middle school level where uh, it's clear that this is this this is the only meal that they have all day. Um and some kids, uh, like on grading days, they sometimes offer food and there are kids in line there. Uh, you know, they don't even have to be there. It's a grading day, but mm-hmm. they count on that. Um, so th- they'll get their lunch and they'll get their breakfast and that's that's it. It's, uh, when they get home, it's it's a crapshoot whether they're, they're going to get any more food. You know, weekends were, were, were difficult, I'm sure, for, for those kids. And they're more than we... Uh, than we think they are. There are so, I think it would be a good idea to provide that across the board. Awesome. Um, yeah. One thing that I, you know, learned uh, this is maybe you'll demystify this term, but the deprofessionalization of teaching yeah. is an issue that is talked about sometimes. Um, and basically, my understanding of that is like over time, teachers have become increasingly micromanaged. The greater emphasis on standardized tests, less freedom to you know, be the professionals that they certainly are, uh, in the classroom. And, um, what's your perspective on that? It seems also that, you know, teachers have less time over time to collaborate with others. You know, you were saying it's not just that, um, teachers should be able to do whatever they want. Teachers tend to want to work well with, with their other teachers and maybe they don't have time to collaborate enough. So, um, what do you think about this? Well, I, I think that the people that started this movement and are continuing or trying to continue this movement um, don't really understand why 
teachers go into teaching um, that mm. I don't think they really, they might say, well, yeah, I know a teacher or, uh, you know, one or two. I don't think they really understand what happens uh, from our, our, our viewpoint, why people go into the profession. And I, I loved, I loved Spanish. I loved English. I loved uh, uh, social studies. And those are the areas that I focused on. And I, I, I wanted to explore them more. I wanted to share what I knew and explore with my kids um, to, to find out more. And doing that was just the, the most joy I've ever had. It, it, was, it was why I went into teaching. Um, and I think the people who don't understand teachers think that, think that, as I said before, I think I alluded to this, that mm. once we close the door, then we can do anything we want and we could go in any direction we want. And that's not how it works. We're, we talk to our peers all the time. Uh, we talk to administrators. We, we talk to people across, um, across districts to, to figure out what they're doing. What, what should we be doing? What do kids really need? We, we, we look at research. We talk to experts. This is why we went into this. Not so we It wasn't could, for the money? <laughs> yeah that was it it was the money uh, i didn't yeah. want a steady paycheck a, a steady low pay, paycheck especially for the first right. first half of my career but um but it that was the reason i i, I love learning i loved learning with other people and i wanted to get better and i don't think enough people in the last 20 years really understood that about why teachers do what mm-hmm. they do. And when I say teachers, I mean educators broadly, not just uh, people who, who were in the same path as I did, or people that are classroom aides, uh, they're administrators uh, who do this because of the love they have for it. And um, it, it, was, it was sad to see that happen. And, and it, as I said before, I think we're starting to go in the other direction. And um, I want to keep pushing in that direction. Up. Right on. Um, one thing that, uh, I want to give you credit for is that you haven't shown, uh, a hesitancy to speak up when, uh, issues of equity are, you know, center stage or, you know, or are not considered thoroughly. And, and a recent example of that is, um, I think you understand that, um, you know, this may be a volunteer position to be on the school board. Um, but it's a certainly an important position and people can, um, what the words that a school board member says matter and you were not quick to clarify your position about some rhetoric about unions that, um, was not very, it didn't seem to me carefully spoken and, and in many ways was not, um, a very fair, um, comparison that a board member made and, um, I'll just say that it was Mary Walston, and she uh, has been on the board for quite some time, has been serving for in, in that capacity for quite some time. She is not up for election, so you would be seeking to join her. And it, she, she was seeking to make a point where she uh, compared uh, a method that the union was um, employing to try to retain uh, teachers of color um, and through the seniority policies that they have, comparing that to... Um, the the police unions and being a good old good old boy network, specifically the police unions um, that were trying to 
protect Derek Chauvin who murdered George Floyd. That was not a very, a lot of people in the education community did not like that. I did not like that. And, um, you know, what was that like for you to experience that? And what was, what was your perspective on that and, uh, your thoughts on, um, the union in general? I, um, I, I've been to so many board members, uh, board meetings, board meetings in my life, uh, and I, I've seen some things that I uh, people said that I uh, didn't agree with, things that enraged me, and that was in the the latter category. Um, to equate people who were defending the killer of of George Floyd to uh, a teacher union, a teachers union that was trying to hold on to seniority. And I, I just, I, uh, at, at first, you know, I, I think that I, I, I realize that I've said some things in my life that I, I regret as well, things that came out wrong. I, I understand that. Uh, but it, but this was um, beyond the pale. And, and it seemed revealing to me. It was revealing to me. I think what was said, what, what was what, has been thought for a very long time among certain members of the board that there's this suspicion of the of the teachers union that it's only out for uh, protecting themselves, uh, only out for for the money. Um, that it's not a democratic uh, institution. It's what she thought a good old boys network, which is laughable most. <laughs> Well, I, I it's laughable right. for so many reasons. I can't I can't even start. Right. Uh, but it was revealing because I know there are people that uh, that push that in Salem that that notion that teachers are out just to protect their own. And uh, I think that it's a cynical attempt. What's happening right now with SB two thousand one to 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 bust a union to take away seniority rights. Uh, by waving a flag of equity, which I, I think is the most—it mm. it just really, really bugs me. Um, and I hope that goes away. But uh, I, unfortunately, I, I, I don't. I think that they're reworking the bill and they're trying to come up with maybe a watered-down version of it. But I think it, this is this is just a, a horrible piece of legislation that needs to go away. Um, well, it, for a moment was, then, could you explain, because I really resonate, we could talk for a long time about whether it's performative activism or people being able to, you know, or people who advantageously like to lift up equity and diversity uh, in their rhetoric, and then the policies are not really going to support those communities or maybe are are not the, that's not the chief priority of them. So what is this instance with SB 2001? Is that what you said? Well, the, 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 there is a problem. It's a, it has been a problem for a long time that I believe there's about 10% of the teacher ranks are, are persons of color, while the students, uh, I think, um, make up something like 38%. It's, and it's been mm-hmm. way off for a while. And it's definitely a problem. Students need to see, um, they need to see people that look like them uh, in the teacher ranks, administrator ranks, and we haven't been doing a good job of it. I, I think that um, there are several reasons. Um, most people of uh, teachers of color uh, nationwide complain of some real, real responsibilities that are expected of them that aren't put upon 
uh, white people that yes. oh you're 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 a person of color so therefore you understand um, you know these kids so we're going to give you these clubs and you're going to be in charge of this and you got to hey, mentor you know, they, this student you got to educate exactly. everybody about your experience which tell them about your trauma please four periods per day or what etc right in addition to the 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 math classes that you're teaching and you also have to do uh, drama after school and all, all these other things um that's a real that's a real drain on, on people they, they they i totally get that uh, on the other hand and there, there are pieces of the of the pipeline to to get to get uh, persons of color into the teacher ranks that are that are broken along the way uh, that need to be repaired. And I think we could do a good job growing our own. You know, there there are kids who would be terrific teachers if we had a mechanism in our own district to encourage them to and and get them. Um, what they need to be able to get to be teachers. I think that would be, um, I, 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 I saw this in my, my students uh, along the way. And I, I did my, uh, <laughs> I did the most I could to encourage them without scaring them. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think they know the teachers don't make a ton of, of money. And, and then they see us with uh, uh, stacks of papers that we take home. And I think they understand um, that it's, it's a difficult job. Um, but I think that would be a really effective means of getting kids or kids of color to be teachers of color. And the second thing is mentoring. And mentoring, I think, helps everybody and perhaps even more so uh, persons of color um, to, to get them uh, paired with veterans, people who know the, the pitfalls in teaching and to get them to be better teachers and help them, especially for, for the, during those first five years. And we had a pretty robust program years ago, but that went by the wayside. And mm. that really needs to come back uh, just for all teachers. I, it, I think it's 40% of all teachers that uh, um, quit after five years, which is an astounding number and very scary. Um, and it's, I think it's worse for BIPOC folks. So yeah. I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if that was the case on that for BIPOC folks. And, um, you know, I can only speak to my own perspective as one little slice of the of the pie or one little part of the, the tomato in the mixed salad, whatever analogy of being a BIPOC individual. Tomato but I can say, it, yeah. yeah, I was just telling my girlfriend, like, you know, melting pot is like a kind of a double-edged sword. It, it, it's meant to say everybody, everybody comes together and creates this soup, but then you're actually melting away your own distinct right. identity to be a part of that. And that's assimilation. Whereas a mixed right. salad, everyone retains their components, but contributes to this thing that's, that's much more, more wonderful right. together. Um, and so what I was going to say is that, you know, I can understand, you know, my mother, um, you know, is a, is an immigrant to the U S she came from Japan. Um, and actually, weirdly enough in the 80s my dad was an adult educator of english and that's and she was his student which is actually how they met um and um maybe it was a different time then japan's also different than here and um so um what happened what i'm trying to say is that like you know she never got to go to college so um for me to make the decision to be a teacher it's something I got some support with, but also a lot of there's a lot of pressure and pushback 
in terms of, you know, if you're going to be a first generation college student, which my dad went to college, he did go to the U of O, so I'm not really a first generation, but let's say somebody is, Mm -hmm. and you're going to take out a bunch of loans, or you get this amazing gift of like great grant aid and scholarships from people that want to see maybe students, BIPOC students succeed well. Well, if we don't have uh, a, a decent teacher pay, you know, and I don't think Oregon is particularly good in that. Um, how are you going to yeah. convince those people that that investment of the of the the bachelor's and potentially the master's degree, et cetera, right. is going to be worthwhile? So one of the things I saw on, on your website as a priority was, you know, class sizes and reducing class sizes, which we know is maybe one of the greatest indicators of you know, effective uh, learning. And, you know, do we have the resources? Do we have the ability? I know this is hard to have better teacher pay and lower class sizes, which means that you're hiring more people. Um, that seems like a intractable challenge. It's, it's, it is very expensive. Um, and I, I know this, anybody in teaching knows this. Um, you know, I, I was the bargaining chair for the union and it was a very difficult balance because, uh, everybody was complaining uh, of high caseloads if they were a specialist or a special educator um, or class sizes they were dealing with. I had an in excess of 40, 40 students oftentimes. Um, in one period? It, yeah, in one period. No, definitely. You know, it happened several times where I'm just That's cramming them in. That's assembly. Yeah, That's, exactly. Yeah. And there, those bubbles happen to all kinds of teachers all the time. Um, but it just, you know, when we're trying to bargain contracts, people are complaining bitterly and they should be about class size and caseload. But at the same time, they need to pay the bills. They need to pay off those college loans that you just mentioned. Um, and I, I, it was very, very difficult to maintain that balance. But to just sit there and and do what some forces were saying, you know, what about the kids? Don't you, you know, uh, the class size, it, that's the most important thing. And, and we would absolutely agree. But at the same time, if you don't pay the teachers what they're worth or try to approximate that, you're going to have even more leave the profession. And that delicate balance was extremely difficult to maintain. I appreciate your honesty about that, you know, running for office and saying, yeah, that's a really challenging balance to to take on. Um, and there, another challenge that 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 could be um, something that the board takes on uh, in your first term, if you are to be sworn in, is, um, you know, some people say, hey, it's time for the board to go in a new direction. But you're also going to be looking at some of the most experienced board members who really know the role well um, are not going to be a part of the board. Uh, Anne Marie Levis will not be there. Jim Torrey will not be there. Um, mm-hmm. Potentially, your opponent Judy Newman, who has been only on, on the board for one term, will not be there. And so there is excitement in seeing a group of fresh faces and people who, you know, I would say, uh, yeah, Gordon Lafer, Martina Shabrin, you know, uh, I'll shout out Laurel O'Rourke, Maya Rabasa, and you, you know, potentially um, people who will all be within their first term starting this July. Um, and um, do you do you anticipate a challenge in terms of, let's say, getting things done, um, given that relative, um, 
I guess um, I, I don't want to say lack of experience because how who am I to talk? I'm a 27 year old podcaster. You guys have lots of experience in the things that you do, but um, within the role, relatively little experience. I I understand that um, there is value. Uh, definitely, there is value to having experience experience on the board, but that has to be balanced with what the goals are, where we want to take this district. Um, I, I think change is absolutely needed. Uh, I, I work with, I have worked with people um, either on, on my side of my side of the table and on the other side of the table. Uh, you know, when I was uh, bargaining contracts with the union, with the teachers union, we tried to assemble a pretty diverse group people who had different views on what was needed and what their experiences were, what their expertise uh, was. And um, I, I felt comfortable with them. Uh, not every one of them saw eye to eye, saw, saw the, diff, the, um, the issues eye to eye with me, but I, I felt like I was able to work well with people with whom I had differences. And I know they're gonna be, uh, there's going to be some friction with, but the, it's, it's always like that. Any, any body, uh, a governing body has that issue, has that, that piece to it. And I don't shy from it. I, I think it's, I think it'll be, it'll be fine. I, I really don't see that conflict like, oh, well, you, you said before the election that you weren't comfortable with this policy or you thought you were going, the, the board was going too far in that direction. I, I don't really see that as a, as an impediment to, to going forward. Awesome. Know. Yeah. Right on. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad you have that uh, attitude. I think it, it's sincere. Um, you've been generous with your time. We had one or two times where it cut out a little bit on zoom because of my Wi-Fi. So hopefully I'm able to stitch it together in a way that, um, is, uh, uninterrupted and people know that I'm not cutting out content. I just, we had a, we had a, <laughs> a little issue where my Wi-Fi router just likes to, to, to stop. Yeah. There was um, no shouting match. No, no, at least not yet, <laughs> because I do want to ask you more uh, directly about one of the last one or two questions. We talked about equity in general, but, um, you know, there's a couple of things. There's, there's um, you know, we, we, everybody has perspectives on um, the summer of 2020 and, and the George Floyd protests. And I just think mm -hmm. that it would have been... Um, I don't even really want to ask directly about that. We can get there if we want. But what I want to ask you about is maybe almost an elephant in the room about um, people are touting. Uh, it's an unofficial slate of candidates. You, O'Rourke, Rabasa, people that are really bringing uh, different perspectives and that do represent diversity and inclusion and equity. And, you know, you've got this immense experience as a Spanish educator. But, uh, um, you know, you... Uh, I believe you would identify yourself as a white man in, in your 60s. And um, where has, um, you know, your white privilege factored into, like, at any point in your uh, in your teaching Spanish, like, um, where has that um, affected, like, your perspective on teaching, you know, the Spanish language in the past and potentially, like, um, teaching Latinx students like languages of their own that their own families speak. Like I'm, I'm just curious about it's, what that's been like. Um, I am a white guy, uh, and I, I, I look like a white guy. And I mm. get that. Um, it's 
throughout the time I've, I've been able to speak Spanish, and I, I learned it in uh, school, and also I spent time in, in Mexico with a family, uh, uh, two different stints, um, and I, I worked hard at it. But when I go to uh, Latin American countries or if I go to Spain, um, mm -hmm. people look at this white face and, and, and they assume that I, I don't speak Spanish and they usually speak English to me. And it's happening in the United States you know, scores of times where, where families to see me and they immediately start speaking English. It, it's kind of a, a, a reflex. And I, I get that. Um, and it, I, I feel so good that I'm able to, um, to communicate in the language that's much easier for many families that I've worked with in my career. Uh, it's really been, really been helpful. Mm -hmm. I, I know, I, I also know that um, since I don't look like someone who might be speaking Spanish, that there's, there's a little bit of a divide. It might take a little longer uh, for someone to, uh, invite me in, in, in the figurative sense. Um, and, and I, I get that it's completely human to feel that. Um, but I, I've been comfortable with it. And, and I, uh, as I said before, I, I, I felt, I feel like, uh, you know, it's a gift for me. I've, I've learned language. Well, my accent's good. Uh, I don't, I don't speak it perfectly, but, um, it's, it, it's brought so much interest and joy to my life. Um, and, and that's why I, I teach foreign language or world language. Um, did I answer your question? <laughs> I think that's a good question, whether or not you answered my question. Yeah. I, 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 well, yeah, you shared, you know, your perspective on that, which is what I'm, what I'm asking. And, and um, I also just do want to say, Tom, that like, um, when I so I am a 4J grad, right? And yeah. we talked a little bit about BIPOC teachers and um, representation within the classroom. And um, you know, I didn't have my first yeah. um, black teacher until there was this flex PE at Kelly Middle School that was like once every week for only like 12 weeks or something, and it was Mr. Warren, and he was he was excellent. But in terms of an academic, and I'm not talking down to PE teachers. I'm just saying that within an, uh, I guess an academic context, Jennifer Skurlock, ninth grade at North Eugene, who I think has yeah. endorsed you. Um, yeah, she's awesome. She's an amazing she, teacher. Yeah. A really she's amazing a human person. Being. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess that it's very apparent. Um, obviously the black community is not monolithic and not everybody would agree on, on any given thing necessarily. But sure. one thing that's loud and clear to me is that we need to better understand the experiences of our black communities here in Eugene. And that's something that, um, you know, how are we going to take, um, if it's the momentum of the last summer and the continual conversations around black lives matter and that movement and that the truth of that statement that has not, been honored within our our school district, our community. How are we going to move forward with um, listening better and implementing better policies? I think uh, I, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I think um, you and you were getting to that before. I think that the inclusion or the the appearance of Maya and Laurel uh, are, and I, I I really believe they're going to win these it's uh, these races. I think that's going to yeah. be an incredible um, shot in the arm. To, to the board 
to have a perspective of, uh, we haven't had a, a, an African-American on the board for many years. Um, I remember when we did, but it's been a, a very long time. Uh, and to, to include two women of color on the, on the board is, is going to change so much. Um, just haven't had that, uh, that perspective. I know Ivan Kalina was on there for, for a couple of years and, uh, but, uh, Again, that was a sh that was a short time, and and it's just been too long. So that perspective, especially at this time, where where our nation is actually starting to understand and recognize things, um, there's so such a long way to go. But um, this is such a, a critical time, and to have them included is is huge. Right on. Well, yeah. um, the last thing I'll just ask you is. Um, you know, what do people what that we haven't talked about yet, or just what do people need to know about your candidacy? Because they do have a lot of people are, this is a hard decision for them to make. And I'm not saying that you should directly contrast yourself from your opponent. I think that there's probably a great deal of mutual respect that yes. within the race. Um, but I just want you to have the floor and to say, you know, um, and I, and I want to tell people that they should certainly go to Tom DiLiberto for 4J.com. It'll be linked in both the, the audio description and the video description. Check okay. it out. The front page is uh, immediately there's an, an Espanol um, translation of all of the issues on the front page that, you're, that you're, are your priorities. Um, but I'll give you the floor and say, you know, what why you want people to vote for you, I guess. Yeah, it's corny. Uh, I didn't uh, want to ask it like that, but that's the simplest way. <laughs> it, it, it usually boils down to that. Um, I, I think the whole show, I, I appreciate your approach in that you don't ask the questions exactly like the forum. This has been much more, um, it's much more, more fun. And um, I think the format is more revealing of a person than some of the forums. Um, that I, that I've been to, uh, I, I I respect Judy. I don't know her personally uh, very well at all. Um, I respect her. She she provides her Easy Cares has done a, a great job for so many families in this in this uh, in this area, and uh, she knows her stuff absolutely. However, I I think that, and this is oftentimes what I tell people. I believe that. What I can bring to the board aligns better to what K-12 education is about. And having worked for such a long time in K-12, uh, this is almost 39 years if you include when I was in college, I was a, a classroom aide in an elementary school. I taught mm. five years in California and then 31 uh, years here. Um, I just think the, the arc of my life, the arc of my career fits really well and especially the timeliness of it. I think uh, right at this time where, and I've alluded to this before, where I think we can, uh, our, our community, our nation is starting to understand uh, uh, that investment in education is so important and, uh, and bringing everybody forward, not just a few. And, and uh, this is, kind of a, a discussion on equity, but you know, asking those second questions and those third questions to people who've been marginalized, um, that's what 
is really going to bring everybody forward. I'm, I'm glad we have an equity lens or an equity tool, but a uh, you know a, a paper that explains how we're going to do it isn't really going to get it done. We that's a great first start, but as I said before, finding out why why uh, certain groups aren't engaged with 4J or for for that matter any uh, school district is just so important and. That's what I think that I, I'd like to, to devote a good portion of my, my work, uh, if elected, toward that. Um, I, I met a guy named Alex Reina, who is on uh, La X. He's a, he's a broadcaster. And he's working with the district, or not the district, the city of Eugene on this. And hmm. he really impressed me by uh, explaining that so many ways that the message of 4J or any district does not get to certain communities in the district. And it just made, made total sense. Um, it's not like he had this easy answer. In fact, it's actually difficult. <laughs> it's not going to be easy. It's going to require quite a bit of work, but how can we do this any other way? There's no machine, there's no tool or lens that's gonna do it for us. Um, I'm willing to put in that work and, uh, and that's why I'm running. Hey, I think that's wonderful. I think that um, this is not something that is a stepping stone towards a gubernatorial run for you. I think that you, that you shy <laughs> no, away no, no, from, no, 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 no. <laughs> even though Kate Brown is term limited, oh, people no, are talking no, no, who's no, going to no, be no. the next. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's that's something that I love about you, about Laurel, about Maya. It is 100% about serving. I think, there's, I think that it doesn't make, I think you probably like, the fact that like, oh, you, you see a yard sign. Oh, somebody's supporting me. That's that's an honor. But I don't think that you're in it just because you like you love your name in that pretty font on that blue sign and no, you want people to know it. That was very cringy for me. It, it's still weird <laughs> just to see like, oh, God, with an apple on it? Really? An apple? Could you, you know, do you have to have an apple? Yes, you yeah. have to have an apple. <laughs> All right. Well, it communicates a lot and it's it, part of the 4J logo. So you were sneaking yeah, in there. Yeah. All right, Tom. Well, I wish you all the best, and I really appreciate your time. Um, and well, thanks, thank everybody, for much. listening. Thank you so much, Thomas. This has been great. I've enjoyed it.